What's up, guys? You excited to be here? How many of you was here last week for Missions Week? Anyone here last week? Anybody sign up for a mission trip? Yes, sir. We. Praise the Lord. Y'all want to Kenan? That was good, right? Super good, man. Gosh, I'm so, I'm like blown away at our friends. Like, the friends we've got, missionaries that are serving all the world, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty ridiculously cool. We've got friends all over the world. It's crazy, right? Like, they're everywhere. And they love Jesus, and that's, it's just awesome. So we're really blessed when we get to be Let's just start off with prayer, and then we'll get started. Does that sound good? Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for being such a faithful, faithful God. We thank you, Lord, for stirring our hearts, for being so very near. We thank you for speaking. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us continually like you always do. Speak to us tonight. Open our hearts and our ears to receive from you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Has anybody ever seen a real live lion face to face? Like been to a zoo or been to a kid or a carnival or maybe a circus? Anyone do circuses? Is that a thing? Anymore? Karen's like, don't, don't call me out, but yeah, I do. I go to circuses. No. It's cool. One time, guys, one time, true story. I was I was involved in a circus in Mexico. When I mean involved, I mean I performed in a circus in Mexico. I'm not making this up. A friend, a friend of mine, we, we were able, we were kind of acrobatic back in the day. Don't ask me to do this now. But we, uh, we were able to do standing backflips, and they thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So in, there, there was like some donkeys there, and there were some chickens like running around. They had like trained donkeys, and it was it was kind of rough. But it was cool because I actually got to kind of perform in a circus by doing uh, semi-average uh, acrobatics. So, oh, fun fact, it's kind of cool. I did not see any lions there. No way. But I remember, I, I think when I was a kid, I saw a live tiger, like which is also equally as, as scary and terrifying. But if you know what I'm talking about, if you've ever seen a lion face to face, it's it's quite a thing. It's I mean, you see this creature, and you know, at any second, without even trying, it could rip your face off, and it would do it with a smile. Like, you're like, oh my gosh. So, I mean, if, if you were actually, like, there, and there wasn't a cage protecting you, you would be scared, right? It's kind of crazy. So, one of my favorite writers, his name's F.W. Borum. Hey, yeah. And Borum has some really, really cool things to say. He basically talks... In one of his essays, he talks about how these two poets were kind of attacking each other. They were kind of rival poets. And one poet um, called the other poet a terrible name. He said, this guy is like a lion dressed in hair curls. A lion. Let's go back to that last picture, guys. A lion dressed in hair curls. Now, I don't know about you, but there's no way that's a compliment. Right? That's totally an insult. There's something hidden under there. It's like kind of saying that you're fierce, but you're kind of like pretty on the outside and you don't really like exude much 
ferociousness, right? So these are kind of English guys, and they're kind of doing their English, uh, picking and picking, fun, making fun of each other. But you kind of see this. You, you've, if you've been to a circus, especially back in the day, they would decorate lions. They would get them in like costumes. Maybe they would put hair curls on them or something. And I think it's probably for the kids because they know that if they can kind of decorate or put them in a costume, it will actually, I think, make them a little less scary. You see what I'm saying? Like, if you see one of these animals, it's not like they need a lot of help to be added to. You see? So let me let me explain to you what I mean by this. Like, you see a, a sad picture like this lion, and you realize very quickly, like this poet that was insulting his, his rival. Um, a lot of times when you add things, it doesn't always add. Sometimes when you add things, it actually subtracts. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, and uh, forgive me for this uh, joke. <laughs> Some girls can pull off bright red lipstick. Some girls can, my wife is like, oh, here it goes. Some girls can pull off bright red lipstick. In my personal Daniel Young opinion, not many girls can pull off bright red lipstick. Not many. In fact, if you think about it, if you see any girls with super bright red lipstick, if you think about it, it actually looks more like they're a, a blood-sucking vampire and they just got done with a tasty meal. Wow. <laughs> right? Wow. It just, it, you have to have the right skin color, the right hair color to pull it off. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's not a thing that you do every day. Sometimes, Things added don't really get the job done. Now, let me pick on the guys. So Stephen and I have been, Stephen and I have been going to the gym, and it's actually really funny um, when we go to the go to the gym, because you see guys lifting weights in the gym, okay? And it can be, you know what I'm talking about, Stephen. So what are they doing? They're sitting in front of a mirror, and they've got these huge weights and huge muscles, and, and I always because of how often they're staring at themselves. They're literally like posing, they're like they're checking out their muscles, and they're, like, they're doing that in the mirror. And I kid you not, these guys, these bros, are pumping iron, because what are they trying to do? They're trying to make gains, right? They're trying to add to themselves by gaining muscle mass, but you see their character shrinking and shrinking because they're staring deep into their own eyes. And I'm wondering to myself, they look like they're gonna make out with themselves. It's something weird. It's like, what are you doing, bro? It's like, please stop looking at yourself. Now go to this next picture. You see this lion. You you imagine walking on the African plains and you stumble across a lion and it's staring at you like that. And it sees you. It would not be long before you and I would pee in our pants. Why? Because there is a glory and there is a presence to these ferocious animals. There's a presence about them, you see. And when you try to even imagine or a photoshopped picture, I assume, of a lion with hair curls in its mane, you quickly see that a lion doesn't need extra help, you see. 
It doesn't need things added to it to give it more glory because it has enough glory on its own. 2 Peter chapter 1. That's where we're going to be tonight. I want you to follow along with me. We're going to read some verses. We're going to go down on a journey together. And I promise you, everything I just said is going to make sense. So y'all with me tonight? Yeah. All right. 2 Peter chapter 1. We've got a situation here where Peter is encouraging the church. If the church is in need of great encouragement. And he is basically explaining how to live a godly life. How to pursue your relationship with Jesus and get closer to Jesus every single day. Anyone want to know how to get closer to Jesus every single day? Yes. Well, Peter's going to give it to us and break it down for us right here. Second Peter, starting in chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. Peter says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to knowledge. To, sorry, and to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Peter is giving us exactly what we need to add to our faith. Now, remember, we're talking about adding things. Now, he says this right in verse 5. Make every effort to add to your faith, to bring things into your character, into your life, so that you can continually grow closer to Jesus. Guys, I want to say right off the bat here is that your walk with Jesus is not so much getting perfect, everyday, little behaviors. Your walk with Jesus is an actual love relationship with Jesus. Yep. It is not about the everyday doing and not doing. It's about walking and talking with Jesus like a friend. And when you're adding things like this, like Peter's saying, we've got a list of them on the screen right here. When you add things like goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, you are adding the character of Jesus into your life. Okay? Now, I'm talking about his character traits. Peter is explaining what Jesus is actually like. Doesn't it blow your mind that God, the creator of the universe, he has a particular personality. He's actually a certain way. There's things that he likes things that he enjoys, and there's things that he doesn't like, and things that he doesn't enjoy. He has a personality, and as East Stanley Jones says, Jesus puts a face on God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at the person of Jesus, and you see exactly what he's like. Now, what does Peter do? See these lists on the screen here. He gives a perfect description of basically the characteristics of Jesus. This is what he's actually like. Jesus is good. He's full of goodness. He's also full of knowledge. Jesus happens to be the smartest person who's ever walked the earth. Jesus was absolutely in control of himself and in, in his behavior, right? He, was, he had perseverance. He was godly. He was full of brotherly kindness. And Jesus also was full of love. You see these things and how we can focus on these things and adding them into your life. 
And if you want to know if you're closer to Jesus than you were yesterday, the question is, am I growing in these areas in my life? Am I, as a Christian, becoming gooder? Everybody say gooder. Gooder. No. Am I gaining in my knowledge? Now, be very careful here because Peter makes a very clear distinction. Knowledge isn't just knowledge for knowledge itself. He's saying growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Pay close attention to that. Are you beginning more self-control? Are you being more patient? Are you becoming more godly? Are you getting friendlier? Now let's look at these things. What is goodness? What does that really mean? I'll give some quick Daniel Young definitions of words that I thought of. Is that okay? Can we do that? Yeah. Goodness is basically this, always assuming the best possible motive behind a person. Always assuming the best possible motive. Have you ever had that feeling, guys, where you think to yourself, that person probably hates me. Or that person over there probably thinks this about me. And you kind of, because you might not be happy about a certain situation, you make assumptions on their character. In fact, what you just did is you created a problem in your mind that actually doesn't exist in the real world. And you, you say, this person, I bet this person has a problem with me. And you actually don't know because you haven't gone and talked to them about it first. You see what I'm saying there? Goodness means you approach a person that you might assume, even if there's conflict in a brother or sister or a friend. Goodness means you're always assuming they have the best intentions. You're, assume, you're, you're seeing them in the best possible light. By default. Don't miss this. You know why that's important? It's because God does that to you. God knows you backwards and forwards, guys. But you know, did you know that Jesus, the Lord, when he looks at you, God always interprets you rightly. He always sees you and he knows your heart and intentions. He interprets you exactly right. And so when we meet friends or we have encounters with people or conflict or whatever, a, a Christ-like thing to do is to assume the best possible thing, right? Knowledge, we grow. What is knowledge? It's basically knowing the character of Jesus more intimately. That's knowledge. Knowing the character of Jesus. Self-control, what's that? Self-control, listen to this, having the ability to make yourself not angry. This is hard, okay? This is hard for me. Have you ever been cut off in traffic? And in that moment, do you have the ability to make yourself not angry? <laughs> or anybody, right? You see what I'm saying? Anyone ever insult you or say something with super attitude against you? Yes. Hmm. Mm hmm. Do you have the ability? To stop and make yourself not be angry. Do you have the ability? The guys, that is self-control. Jesus was perfectly self-controlled. We're going to go on that a little bit later. Perseverance. You know what perseverance is? Refusing to be selfish even when you're wounded or tired. Refusing to be selfish even when someone hurts you really, really bad. I may want to add this. Maybe uh, some people are like this, but... 
Also, perseverance is refusing to be selfish when you're hungry. <laughs> Amen. I, I'm talking to myself here. I'm talking to myself. You know, when you get hungry, you're like, we call it hangry? Is that what we call it? Yeah. I'm always hangry. Refusing to be selfish even when you're wounded, guys. Have you ever been deeply wounded by a friend? Have you ever been deeply wounded by a family member? Perseverance, what that is, is knowing and believing that there's hope for this other person. Because when there's hope for God to do something in their life, you're going to have patience and perseverance for them. Does that make sense? Godliness, that's simple. What's godliness? It's simply acting like Jesus would act. That's godliness. Just acting like Jesus would act. How about brotherly kindness? This is a fun one. I want to little, spend a little bit of time on this. Brotherly kindness is making it extremely easy for others to be your friend. Yeah, yeah. I love, uh, one of my best friends, you know him, our campus pastor, Dane McReynolds in Brownsville. Y'all know Dane? Yeah. Dane McReynolds in Brownsville, one of my best friends of all time. I love Dane because he makes it extremely easy to be his friend. Many people don't know this about him, but he actually is type 1 diabetic. So when he was turned 21 years old, I think even the month, he, his pancreas failed and he was rushed to the emergency room and he basically had to completely change his life. And at age 21, he became a diabetic. He had to give himself insulin. But what's amazing about Dane is he doesn't wear it on his sleeves. You see... There's people that have hung out with Dane and had dozens of meals with him. And after every meal, he gives himself insulin shots. But he does it really quick and he does it so unnoticeably. People go weeks without realizing he's giving himself shots. And I think this is amazing because Dane does not wear his handicap on his sleeves. And you know what many of us do? Maybe not a handicap physical ailment like that that I'm talking about, but but a lot of times we have personality quirks or we have things about us that we know that we just really don't have the patience to change. So we kind of prepare people to be our friend. And we say, in order to be my friend, just, just understand I have this weird thing about me, you have this weird thing about me, you have this weird thing about me, you have this weird thing about me. And guys, you know what you do? When we do that, we're actually building a wall and we're asking new people to climb over this wall in order to be our friend. You see, brotherly kindness, Christ-likeness, is making that wall as small as possible in order for other people to be your friend and not making excuses for your weirdness. I <laughs> you with me tonight? Try not to be super heavy, but I think that's kind of true. I have a friend, this person had extreme life struggles. And this person, every month, there was a new extreme life struggle that took place. And I just thought to myself, oh my gosh, this person's really got a tough life. And then, a year and a half went by, and every single month, there was like an extreme thing going on. And I started to realize that it wasn't so much that those things were extreme, but that this person was making them extreme. And what we call this, guys, now don't leave me here, but what we call this is being a high-maintenance friend. Ask yourself this, am I a high-maintenance friend? 
know this is like super rough. Now, I'm gonna pick on myself, I'm gonna pick on myself. So, my reason, sometimes I can be a high maintenance friend. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> whenever, now yeah, don't ask my staff, just don't ask them any questions. Uh, whenever my resource guys and I get together uh, during resource group, we always ask this question. We say, where are we going to eat tonight? Chili. <laughs> yes. So I'll say, hey guys, where do you want to eat? And immediately, Amber goes, I'm not answering this question because as soon as I answer it, Daniel's going to veto it. Right? He's always like, oh, pizza. You know, and I'm like, and then I'll go, okay, does, does everyone want pizza? And, and I have these kind of tricks because I don't really want pizza, so I try to convince other people that they don't want pizza. Because I'm picky about what I eat, right? I kind of admit it. This is what I kind of mean. This is a small example, but we do this where we have ways of we actually make ourselves a high maintenance friend. And, and guys, I think brotherly kindness and loving one another is, is, and especially when people don't know Christ and we want to invite them into our lives, that means we need to be low maintenance friends. Yeah. That makes sense? Is that good? Y'all with me? All right, let's keep going. Guys, the question for tonight is what are we adding? What are we adding to our lives? What character traits or qualities of Jesus are we adding to our lives? Now, there's a few things I find very interesting that's not on this list. You want to go through some of them? So, interesting enough, I'm surprised to find that there's a few things not on this list. One thing that's not on this list is basically softness. So, if you ever hang out with Christians enough, you will eventually need someone that talks about Jesus, and it's more like they're talking about a fluffy, cute kitten, rather than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <laughs> Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And we have this way of saying, like, we have this whole saying, like, Jesus, meek and mild. And what people sometimes say is that Jesus is weak and mild. Like, he's this soft, tender, um, fragile God. Yeah. And if you do these things, like, and it's okay, he's going to kind of, like, brush your hair or your head, and, and, and he's going to help you, like, get over your thing. Now, <laughs> this, so, please don't mishear me. It is an, a biblical truth that God is a gentle God. It is a biblical truth. He is a gentleman and he's gentle. He will never force you to do things that you are unwilling to do, even if those things are good things. I'll never force you. But a lot of times we have this characterization of Jesus like he's this soft, fragile kitten. And we kind of add this character trait onto Jesus that doesn't exist. Dorothy Sayers, a woman of God who really could write. I mean, you get some of her books, Mind of a Master, it'll mess you up. She's like, no joke. She says this quote, people, the people who hanged Christ never, to do them justice, accused Jesus of being a bore. They never accused Jesus of being boring. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. 
We have, she says, efficiently declawed the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale priests and pious old ladies. That's Dorothy Sayers. What she's talking about is we must not forget that one day Jesus is going to return and the Bible says a sword is going to come out of his mouth. And he is going to separate the sheep and the goats. And now remember this, the enemies of God that take sword against him, they will be conquered. He will not allow his bride to be harmed. He's not this soft, weak type of God. He is a strong, mighty king. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Second thing that's not on this list, we're going to go on the other side of this coin, is Peter does not say the words righteous anger. Notice the words righteous anger is not on Peter's list of character traits that you need to have. Now this can get kind of sticky, because we're kind of in a group where people really like to talk about like the, the fear of the Lord, or the wrath of God, and sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards. We're going to quote Raven Hill days and days and days and radio is great but guys understand this every time the apostle Paul asks for leaders to join the church and he asks for a specific type of men he never ever says Timothy get me some guys that have righteous holy anger he never says it now righteous anger is not a sin don't miss don't hear miss him Having righteous anger is not a sin. It's not wrong. But I just find it interesting that Paul and the disciples are not looking for leaders with righteous anger. In fact, they're saying when, when you read Titus, Paul's talking to Titus and saying, give me men that are slow to anger, he says. Slow to anger, who have self-control. Guys, you know what I think? I think many times people get really angry and they project their anger problem on God. They're really angry or bitter about certain things. And so they view God as this angry dictator who's constantly trying to fix you and correct you and, and, and kind of hit you with a ruler because you played the wrong key in the piano. But you see, that's not what God is like. God is patient. And he's a good judge. He knows your efforts in you wanting to get closer to him. He knows it. He is a good God. And so what time, many times people project their anger problem on God. And what we do when we do that, and we get this fiery anger, we lose self-control, we end up decorating Jesus a little bit more. We're, we're putting fangs in his mouth, or we're giving him a mohawk, or we're giving him a, a, a super like gnarly t-shirt because we're trying to depict Jesus a little bit more severe because we think he's not severe enough. See, you don't need an angry Jesus. You just need Jesus. You just need him, exactly who he is. You don't need a, a soft, meek and mild Jesus. You need the real Jesus. And what we try to do is when we depict this soft Jesus, it's like we're trying to put hair curlers in his hair. It's like we're trying to put makeup on his face. It's like we're trying to soften his story a little bit so that he might be more acceptable to everyone else. And you know what? You'll never do it. You'll never do it. You can never add to who Jesus actually is. 
The third thing you don't see, and obviously you don't see this, is you don't see coolness. Peter is not saying, in order to be godly, you just need to be cool. He's not saying that. And guys, this is absolutely something in our culture. I heard, I can't give you the, uh, the reference, and nor would I want to if I found it. But uh, uh, this year, there's some American preacher that preached a sermon, and the title was, Let's Make Jesus Sexy Again. <laughs> and we have, what we do is we depict Jesus as this cool guy who's basically your bro, and we kind of, it's like we're putting cool shades on him, we're putting a cool Christian cultural trend t-shirt on Jesus' chest to try again to change his appearance to make it more appealing to other people. But you see, you're never going to change the lion of Judah. You're never going to alter his personality. Jesus is always the same and he will never change. And his personality, just the way we see it in Scripture, is exactly the personality that you and I need. You are with me? Yeah. We're never going to add things to Jesus, and it's never going to actually help. In fact, when we add these things to Jesus, they actually lessen. They don't add, they subtract. Every time we try to make this this Christianity plus something else, or or my love with Jesus and this other thing, in efforts to try to add and make make things a little bit easier and more appealing, you end up taking away. Because the real thing is the real thing, and that's what you want. Now, all these things are an attempt to add to Jesus, but we know that they subtract. Let's let's hear a story, if you don't mind me telling you a story. You all like stories? About a perfect example of how to add the right thing. Now, F.W. Moore tells an amazing story. This is way back in the day in the city London. There's a certain neighborhood in London called Blackadder Lane. And this was a famous, uh, basically, uh, neighborhood or um, like kind of a county or, or section of part of London that was famous because it was an absolute grotesque, horrible neighborhood that was infested with crime and promiscuity and drugs and everything you could probably name. And there was po- it was poverty stricken, and basically, Black Adder Lane, this little community, became a plague on society. And in fact, it was so bad, no one could solve the problem. No matter how much money the government tried to pour into it, it never fixed anything. And Black Adder Lane, it seemed like it would never, ever get better. Like the people would never, ever change their, their, their values, systems that were severely lacking in the people there to a no avail. At one time, the government actually considered atrociously, let's just burn it to the ground and start over. They were hopeless of fixing this neighborhood that was just not going to change. In fact, the church even tried to move in. The Salvation Army moved in from time to time into Blackout Lane, set up their tent meetings, had revival services, gave out food, gave out free stuff, free t-shirts, free uh, money, all these things to try to help the community. And there would be people that would get saved, but immediately with that person, 
that person's character was changed, and so what they would immediately do is move out of Black Adder Lane. And so Black Adder Lane, this community, still stayed the same. Because there was no transforming thing that was happening inside. This is total missions, missiology right here. So y'all follow me here. Now, nothing worked. The government couldn't fix the problem. The church moving in and doing their tent meetings did not fix the problem. Giving them free stuff, free food, didn't fix the problem. Black Outer Lane was still the same. Until a young girl named Dora Manning had an idea. Dora Manning was a college student. And she graduated from college, very close, similar age to many of you in this room. And she got a job at her dad's factory and in order for her to get to work, she had to walk through Black Adder Lane. Now, nobody walked through Black Adder Lane. No one would do it. If any atrocious crime came on the news, everyone immediately assumed, oh, that's the Black Adders. That's those people, those vile people over there. Right? And so she comes up with this idea. She's like, she's like Mom, Dad, I'm not going to walk 45 minutes extra around this neighborhood so I can get to work. I'm not going to do it. And they're like, but you can't, it's not safe. She's like, but mom, dad, aren't we Christians? Aren't we supposed to be willing to go into Samaria and reach people? You see what's going on here? And they're going, okay, so she, so Dora Manning comes up with a fascinating plan. Her and her friend go together and they start walking to work simply in a straight line and the quickest possible path. And they walked straight through Black Outer Lane. Now, Dora's friend that was walking with her had a great idea. She was like, Dora, um, this would be a great ministry opportunity. What we should do is we should bring candy or food or free stuff so we can give out to people. Because that's what Christians do, right? We give people nice free things. And Dora Manning said unexpectedly, absolutely not. We're not handing out any free stuff. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through Black Outer Lane. We're going to be absolutely normal. And when people look at us, we're going to look back and we're going to smile. We're not going to approach them. We're not going to turn them into a mission. We're going to treat them exactly the same as we would treat anybody else. And if the Black Outers come to us, we'll have a conversation. But we're not going to approach them or treat them. All we're going to do, in fact, I've got the quote right here. Uh, F.W. Warren says this. Dora would not hear it. The whole scheme, she argued, depended, depended on their ability to convey a subtle impression of equality. They were not invading the land with slummers, missionaries, or reformers. They were business girls going to business. And going was the natural by the shortest way, and that was all. They were just walking the shortest way. Now, what ended up happening? Weeks and weeks and weeks of this all of a sudden, they noticed in one window, there's no windows, no doors anywhere. Kids would run in and out, and they didn't even know what parents the kids belonged to. It was a mess. One day, they're walking to work, and Dora Manning notices curtains on a window. And she saw it, and she went, oh, do you see that over there? What, look what's happening. And then as weeks continued to go by, the doors were repaired on the hinges, as weeks continued to go by, women were sweeping the porches, cleaning up their homes and making them tidy. 
as the weeks and weeks even more went by, things started to drastically change, and all of a sudden, scores of people felt comfortable to walk through Black Adder Lane. They even made friends. And what happened? What these girls did, no one else did. These girls didn't just add to the Black Adder's free stuff. And look, guys, free stuff is good. Free stuff is not bad. As long as you understand that free things and free money are short-term solutions to long-term problems. What these girls did, guys, no one thought of. They walked through Blackadder Lane, and what they gave those people was dignity. They treated them as though they were made in the image of God. They didn't treat them like they were a special case. They didn't treat them like, you need my help to get out of your spot. They just treated them normally, and what happened is they started to feel embarrassed for the way they were living. They started to add goodness and virtue and perseverance and self-control to their lives. Yeah. And you know what happened? As Borum says, as the weeks and months went by, as the lady that's telling this story, she says, to this day, the history of Black Adder Lane, nobody remembers. Because the, the city and the tiny community has been completely assimilated and brought back into society, and no one would have known a thing. Guys, think about this. Two girls did what the entire church could not do. Two girls that loved Jesus. Two girls that just gave other people dignity, transformed the city around them. Guys, don't miss this. Do you realize the power of what Jesus can do in your small group? Look what he can do with two girls. Look at what we can do with one person. Look at what God can do with Moses, one guy. Look what God can do with Moses' staff, a stinking stick. Look what God can do. Imagine each RGB Chi Alpha small groups that get together and they have a common understanding and a common purpose to give one another dignity and to add not just good things to their lives, but eternal things to their lives. You and your small group can change the world. You and your small group and the power of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, you can change everything around you just by adding eternal things to your life and not just depending on short-term the whole world can change through one small through one small thing with just being led by Jesus and doing things a little bit differently. Isn't that crazy? Imagine what our campus could look like. Imagine what the river and valley could look like Amen. if Chi Alpha, RGV, just did small group and did community and did discipleship a little bit differently. And there's this Holy Spirit power that starts to infiltrate and communities and culture and everything starts to change. Guys, what's Peter saying? Peter's saying, when you take on the character of Jesus, you're going to change the world. If you put on Christ, you can change the world. Obviously, Jesus is doing it through you, but understand, God loves to use people. He loves it. He just loves to use weird people like me and you. Jesus loves it. He uses us all the time. Romans 13 says it this way. Clothe yourself 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing, amazing imagery? Clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus Christ, and his divine character and divine nature will flow out of you and through you. Now, the question for tonight is this. What are we adding? What are we adding to our lives? What are we adding to our devotional life with God? What are the things we adding? Are we adding short-term things? Or are we adding true character that's going to change and stay with us for eternity? What are we adding tonight? What are you adding to your life? A lot of times we add things and they actually don't add. They take away. A lot of times we add things to Jesus when they don't add, they subtract. One of my favorite movies is called The Count of Monte Cristo. I love this movie. It's a wonderful movie. And in this movie, there's these two characters. This is the bad guy. The, the guy there is Fernand Mondego. He's the villain. And him and his best friend, Edmund Dantes, are childhood friends. And Edmund Dantes and this girl, Mercedes, were engaged to be married and they were madly in love. And they were all childhood friends. Fernand, right there, he was rich and had all these things, had everything he could ever want. And Edmund Dantes was poor and had nothing, but he was humble and happy and, and, and loved the life that God gave him. And so there's this amazing scene right here where Fernand Mondego is trying to flirt with Mercedes. And she goes, I know what you want, Fernand. And he goes, you do? And she says, remember when we were kids and Edmund got that whistle for his birthday and you got a pony? You were so mad that Edmund was happier with his whistle than you were with your pony. And she says, I'm not going to be your next whistle. Guys, how many times we try to take Jesus, the King of kings, the divine Son of God, and we try to add him to our life and fit him in our mold? It's never going to work. Jesus is not going to be your next whistle. That just is another way or means to get you happier, to give you peace. It'll never work. Guys, what I'm saying tonight is this. You do not add Jesus into your life. You add yourself into his life. Amen. Amen. You do not add Jesus into your mold. You add yourself and you surrender into his life. And through that surrender, through that humility, even humiliation, Jesus gives you a new life, gives you a new walk, gives you a new heart and a new character. But even then, guys, I love this about God, is he never takes the scraps and throws it away. God is a God that makes all things new, you see. He makes all things new. That means he takes whatever broken mess you give over to him, and he will take that substance and transform it and put a new heart in you and make you into something new. Guys, you understand the Bible says you're made in the image of God. That means whether you believe in God or not, it doesn't matter. You're still made in his image. Regardless, you're made in his image. And when you give yourself over to Jesus and surrender everything and say, Jesus, for like whatever it takes, I'll do it. Whatever it takes. When we have that attitude, 
you are not adding Jesus into your mold, you're adding yourself into his. And when you do this, the most incredible things happen. You can change your communities, you can change your churches, you can change your campus. Jesus, in this moment, we're going to close with this, and after I'm done, I'm going to get on the guitar, we're going to hang out with the Lord tonight. Is that good? All right? You know, Jesus, the Bible says, the Lord gives and he takes away. Actually, that's pretty good. We're lucky that he does. What that means is Jesus knows how to add. He knows how to add to your life. And he also knows how to subtract when it's necessary. He knows. He knows what you need. He knows exactly the thing he needs to add to you, and he knows exactly the thing that he needs to take away. In fact, you'll know this, but Jesus performed the most magnificent subtraction of all time. Because when Jesus marched up that hill, when he went up to the cross and he was hung on that cross, you know what he did? He subtracted your sin off of your life and added it onto himself. The Lord gives and he takes away. He's that good. Guys, Jesus is that good. And he is that in love with you so that you can have a beautiful relationship and walking with Jesus. When he hung on that cross, he performed the most magnificent subtraction in all of humanity. And he removes our sin and he adds it to himself. And those of us that bow and bend our knee and say, Jesus, you're Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that subtraction is made sure, Peter says. It is completed. His work is finished, guys. But what are we adding to our lives? Let's stand tonight. John the Baptist said it. Magnificently. When Jesus comes marching on the sea, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes away.